All right, so we are continuing kingdom submission. This is week three. And so what have we looked at in the first two weeks of kingdom submission? We have looked at, firstly, that we are called to submit to the governing authorities. which is to submit to the institution of authority that God has placed over us. And he's done that in many different ways, whether it's the federal government or the local state government or the city government, and that we are not called to be people who are rebelling against government. And we are called to submit to the governing authorities because God established authority. And he gave the authorities the power to punish those who are evil, but to bless those who are good. And God has, God has blessed us with a society that still honors uh, uh, law and order. And we are thankful for our police officers. We are thankful for our military. We're thankful for those institutions that God has given authority to and that we should submit to them. And so we talked about that. And what we talked about the specific context of these listeners of this letter in Rome would have not received that very well because the governing authority in their life was Nero, who was a tyrant, who was a dictator, who was persecuting them. And so this would have been a very challenging context for them to hear that coming from Peter. And then, then we looked at the second week that, that, that we should submit to those who are directly in authority over us, whether it's on our job or in, in other spheres of our life, that we should submit to those who are over us, even those who mistreat us. Even those who mistreat us. And that was the crux of the entire message last week is that, is that we can have authorities or people in our life, whether it's the government or bosses or whoever in our life, whether it's not even an, an authority figure, but you just get mistreated and you experience injustice. And, and the text we looked at last week from First Peter told us that we should entrust our souls to a God who judges justly. That God holds the scales of justice and that we can trust him with our experiences of injustice, that he will in the end make all things right. Do you believe that? And then today, now, submission comes to the home. Submission comes to the home and into the most important institution of the home, which is marriage. How many of you believe that God instituted marriage? That God created marriage to be between one man and one woman for life, a covenant for life. And then God instituted marriage, and I want you to know that you already know that you know, I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir here today, but the institution of marriage has been under attack since the beginning. The enemy has sought from the very beginning, you see in Genesis, the enemy has sought to bring a wedge, even in Genesis, even in Genesis between husbands and wives. And then you see it even to today in modern history, the enemy is attacking the very definition of marriage. And so in any way, shape, or form, the enemy wants to destroy the family. And how can the enemy seek to destroy the family? To get to the foundation of the family and to destroy marriages. And so we're going to look at the institution of marriage. We're going to look at this exhortation from Peter to wives and to husbands. And we're going to learn what it looks like to have submission in marriage. So I know that there will be some here that are single and so this message you may think is not really for you, but if you're single and you desire to be married, it, it is for you. Because it is good for us to learn when we're single what it means to be married, what God has designed for us in, in marriage, so that we can have our hearts prepared for that. I remember the season of singleness that I was in in my life uh, leading up to meeting my wife, and then after we were dating and, and engaged, I, I dove headlong into 
what God's word said in, in any way that I could, whether it's through directly through scripture or listening to messages or podcasts about marriage. I wanted to know what God's word says was my responsibility as a husband. So I want to encourage those that are single here today. This message is for you as well. So let's look at the text. First Peter chapter three. And we're going to read the first seven verses. It says, likewise, wives, be subject or be submitted to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Wow, ladies, you guys want to know what that means? My wife told me today before I left the house, you need to explain that today. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, here's the section. Wives, husbands, wives submit. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And so in this section, we have the specific context, and, and I just want to say this on, at, at the outset, the specific context that Peter is addressing is an unbelieving spouse married to a, a believing spouse, or a believing spouse married to an unbelieving spouse. And how should a believing spouse relate to their spouse who is not saved. But I also believe that in a broader context that there are principles built in here that are for married couples, whether you are unequally yoked or you are both Christians. So we're going to look at that from both contexts. So it's going to be interwoven throughout this sermon. The context of being married to a non-believer if you're a Christian, but then generally speaking, if you are married, there are, there are principles here for our marriage that we would honor Christ. So that's what we're going to look at. And we'll look at both contexts through two overarching truths from this text. So I have two points. I have two points. The first one is this. A wife's beauty is not defined by the visible. So what I'm going to do here is that I'm going to work from the middle of the admonition to the wife. I'm going to from, go from the middle of the text and work our way out. So we're going to start with the middle of the text, and this is where this point comes from, and we're going to work our way out and unpack the wife's responsibility in marriage, whether she's married to a non-believer or to a Christian, okay? So a wife's beauty is not defined by the visible. And so this is the overarching truth that's being conveyed in this text, that a wife's beauty and what she looks like is not the most important thing in her life. It is who she is on the inside, and who she is on the inside will be reflected in her relationship to her husband. And so outward beauty and the worldly definition of beauty is what is used by many to determine a woman's beauty or worth. Do you see that today? That the way a woman looks on the outside is what the world uses to determine the value of a woman. So that if a woman looks like the world says a woman should look, if a woman looks beautiful as the world says a woman should look beautiful, then that woman is beautiful. But if they don't meet the stereotypical image of an outward beauty, then the world puts labels and definitions on women that are impossible to live under because the standards are impossible. And so women live under that weight. 
And I just want to say this, entire industries make millions upon millions and tens and millions of dollars selling their idea of beauty to our little girls. It is so scary to watch our world today and what they're selling our little girls. I have two precious little girls and I, I, I want them to not take in any of those messages. I want to guard them from those messages that, that what their body looks like and, and, and how they look on the outside does not determine their value. Being the right size, having the right look, dressing a certain way does not determine the value of a woman. And those little girls, they become young women. And the lesson that our little girls and our young women are being force-fed and even adults They're being force-fed is that their value and worth is directly connected with them living up to the world's definition of beauty. And I'm here today to say that if you're living under that pressure, ladies here today, young or old, you're living under that pressure here today, I want you to know that, that that is not what defines you. That should not be what defines you. And the world, listen, the world does not have the right to define beauty. Only God can. Only God can. Only your creator can define what true beauty is. And the world's definition of beauty, listen, is connected with a wrong view of sexuality. It's connected with the wrong view of sex. And so they're defining beauty based upon a wrong foundation of human sexuality. And so we should never look there to determine what makes us beautiful. What should we, which, where should we look? Here's the middle of the text. Look at the text. Look back at the text. Do not let your adorning be external. This is what Peter is saying here. Don't let your adorning, don't let your adorning be what you see on the outside. Some translations say merely. Don't let your adorning merely be what you see on the outside. Don't let your adorning be external. And he gives some definitions of what that would look like. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. So this word adorning, this is an interesting word study. The word adorning, when Peter says to the ladies, don't let your adorning be what is external. That word adorning comes from a Greek word that is uh, pronounced cosmos. Spelled with a K, not with a C. Cosmos. And it literally means an an ordered universe, like the ordered universe that we live in, the cosmos. It also, the word cosmetics comes from that root word as well. So if you put two and two together... When women adorn themselves, what are they doing? They are ordering the chaos. (laughs) It's a joke. I asked my wife if I could say that. Not many of you laughed. Um, But that's what it means, literally. When you're adorning, when you are adorned, you have ordered the chaos. And so ladies, we like it when you adorn the chaos. I like it when my wife gets fixed up and gets dressed. So, So what is Peter saying here? And so some denominations make whole doctrines on what Peter is not saying here. He's not saying that women should not braid their hair. He's not saying that women should not wear jewelry or wear makeup. He's not saying that their clothes uh, uh, has to be a particular way, shape, or form, right? He's saying that women should not make that the primary function of their life. That They should not make that the number one thing that they do in their life is that they're overly concerned about how their hair looks, their makeup, their dress, their clothing. But that we know that God made women to desire that. That's why Peter is speaking to it. 
Because it is a good thing that women, that women desire to do that, but it cannot be the primary thing, which in that culture, in that time, this idea of braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry, in, in that time, in, in, in Roman time, in, in the first century church time, women would put uh, in their braided hair gold and jewelry in, into their hair. That, that's the context there. He's saying, ladies, don't let that be the priority of your life. Don't let that consume your life. And so this is the foundation of what Peter is saying here. He's saying, he, he, he's saying that the culture that you live in, he's speaking to their culture, but he's also speaking to ours. The culture that you live in, ladies, is telling you that this has to be your number one priority. That you have to be defined by the way that you look, by the clothes you wear, by the makeup you put on, by being put together. And he's saying, no, in your life, what needs to be the most important thing is the internal. God's word He's not saying that women should not order the chaos. It is saying that the outward look of a woman is not what is the most important. And it is not what should be given the greatest attention. So the question is, okay, well then, if the external is not what should be given the greatest attention, what should be given the greatest attention? Well, the text says it. Look back to the text. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, very precious. So what's, what's God's word saying to us today or saying to us ladies here today? What's he saying to you here today? He's saying that the internal hidden person, the, 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 the inside person, that's what you should worry about adorning more than the outward person. And he says here the outward beauty, and here's the contrast, the outward beauty is going to fade, Right? Outward beauty is going to fade. Trends are going to change. What looks good now may not look good later. And that, that our, our looks are temporary. What we look like on the outside is temporary. But who we are on the inside is eternal. And is very pleasing to God that we would develop who we are on the inside as opposed to who's on the outside. And what people see of us on the outside. I think it's interesting he uses this phrase. He says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a, and he says this, a gentle and a quiet spirit. And he says that a gentle and a quiet spirit for a, for a woman is, in God's sight, very precious. And when you study that word, quiet spirit, this is what it means, a quiet spirit. It means untroubled or peaceful. That's what the word quiet means. Untroubled or peaceful in your inner being. In your inner being. And what does that mean? That means in your life, women, that you have such a deep, trust of the Lord in your life. That no matter what's going on, on all around you, in your marriage, and let's, again, get back to the context of a woman being married to an unbelieving spouse. If you're a woman here today and you're married to an unbelieving spouse, you need to be reminded, have that gentle and that quiet spirit in your inner being. You are quiet because you are quietly trusting God with the situation of your life. Or maybe you're married here today to a Christian husband who's not living as he's called to. And you have that gentle, quiet spirit in you. And you're saying, God, I am trusting you to the deep part of my heart that my husband is in your hands and that he's going to be okay. And that you're going to work in him and I'm going to honor him and love him. This is what Peter is saying. This is what God's word is saying to you wives. That don't let what you look like on the outside be what is most important in your life. But the development of a gentle a gentle and a quiet spirit, a godliness that, that comes from the inside out, that is demonstrated from the inside out. So what does this inward beauty of a quiet spirit 
and a deep trusting of God's care look like? What does it look like on the outside of your life, ladies, wives? Look back at the text. This is, it's, again, we're working our way from the, from the middle out. Here's the beginning. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, that's the context of being married to an unbeliever, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. You guys follow what I'm doing here? So who you are, ladies, on the outside does not determine your value and your worth. That's not the standard. Who you are on the inside will produce something that will come out of you in your relationship to your husband, whether he's saved or he's unsaved, and it will be, it will be this. That what comes out of your heart, if you are maturing in your faith, is a submission to your husband. That's what the text says. Be subject to your own husbands. So submission in marriage, like Ephesians 5 tells us. Look at what Ephesians 5 says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And it's himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So we, we see not only in First Peter, but, but the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says wives should submit to their husbands. And that word submission in marriage for wives has been really given a bad rap. Because it's in the context of what we're reading, and we're going to continue to unfold this, this has nothing to do with a woman being less than her husband. This has to, submission in marriage is the picture of the woman recognizing the call that God has placed on her husband's life as the responsible party. God has called our husbands, and God has called, not our husbands, but your husbands as women uh, who are married, he's called your husband to be the one who is the authority, but ultimately the responsible party in your marriage. How do we know that? We'll look at Genesis. God made man first. He made man first, why? Because he was giving him the authority over the home first. He was given him responsibility first. And when God made man, he gave him a job to tend the garden, to take care of the garden, to name the animals. And then God stepped back and said, it is not good for man to be alone. So what he did was, God says, I've given you the responsibility to take care of the garden, to keep it, to watch over it. I've given you my law. Don't eat of Any tree, you can eat of any tree except this one tree. I've given you my commands, watch over my commands, and now I'm going to give you a woman. So you see the flow there? God gave him his law, gave him responsibilities, gave him commands, responsibilities, and he added to his responsibility a woman to take care of, to tend, to teach her the law of God. And so, husbands, that is your responsibility. You are the responsible party in your marriage for the spiritual direction of your home. God gives us his law and his ways so that we can teach our wives, we can lead our wives in the direction of godliness and our family. And so wives, that is what it means to submit to your husband's role as leader in the home. You're submitting to the God-ordained structure of marriage. God gave him the responsibility. And we're going to talk to the husbands here and just a little bit about what their responsibility is in more detail. So it is not your responsibility, ladies, to make your husband do that. You can't. And if you're married to a non-believing spouse here today, ladies, you cannot convince him to be something he's not. A man cannot be a spiritual leader to lead you to Christ until he has come to Christ first. And if you notice what the text says, the text says that, 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 that you will win him over by your conduct. 
So I know that if you're married to a non-believing spouse, the temptation can be is that I just got to preach the gospel to my non-believing husband. I got to put scriptures on his mirror and I got to put scriptures on, on his dashboard and I got to put scriptures all over the place and I've, I've got to play my, my, my worship music loud and I got to play sermons in the house. And I'm here to tell you that that is not the strategy to win an unbelieving spouse. A strategy to win an unbelieving husband, ladies, is to love him and to honor him and to submit to him, and to respect him as the authority in your home. And the temptation will be is to say, well, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what is really true and really good and really right because he's not submitted to God. But because you're submitted to God, you know what is true, and you know what is right, and you know what is good, and so you submit to the God-ordained authority that God has placed in your life. And by your submissive, godly conduct in your life, Scripture says that your husband can be one to the Lord. Do you believe that here today? So this submission, it's interesting, uh, this text where Peter uses Sarah as an example. He's using Sarah and Abraham as an example, and he's pointing to Genesis 18. He doesn't say it in the text, but Sarah called Abraham Lord in Genesis 18. You can go back and look at that text in Genesis 18. And it's whenever the three visitors come and, and they, they're telling Abraham that he's gonna, that they're gonna have a son and Abraham is old and Sarah is old. And so she overhears and Sarah laughs and then they come and confront her and she says this, shall I have a baby after I am worn out? That's straight from Genesis 18, ladies. Shall I have a baby after I'm worn out and my Lord is old and my Lord is old? So Peter uses Sarah as an example. And so here's what he's not saying in the text. Just like he's not saying that your clothes and your, and your jewelry are something that, 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 uh, that, that this is a restrictive thing for you, that you can't wear makeup and that you, you, you can't uh, braid your hair or, or wear jewelry. What he's not saying here is that you have to call your husband Lord. What he's saying is, is that Sarah had a submission to Abraham in her life and recognized his position in her life that, that out of the overflow of her heart, he called her Lord. And so I, I am not saying here that when you get home, wives, that you got to say, yes, Lord, to your husband. Yes, Lord, we will watch what you want. Yes, Lord, we will. We will what, what do you want for supper, Lord? That's not what this text is saying. He's using Sarah as an example of a submission, of a submitted heart to the authority that God's placed through her husband. Did you guys get that? You ladies get that? Now look, the extreme end of that is actually true. Maybe not so much in America, but it could be. But in other countries, that, that, that really could be uh, the idea that w- men can abuse that and become so authoritarian. And in, in, in other countries, it really is that way. And and. and and in places in our country, even that can happen as well, where, where, where men think they're the king of the house and it's their way or the highway. And that if they don't get what they want, they make their wives pay. And so wives just submit. They may not say yes, Lord, with their mouth, but they submit because of fear. So what does submission not mean? Okay, this is what submission means, that you're submitting to the God-ordained authority and responsibility of your husband. You're respecting who God's called him to be. But what does it not mean? It does not mean that if your husband asks you to leave your faith in Christ that you have to submit. It doesn't mean that. If your husband says, I'm tired of you going to church. I'm tired of you going to Living Word Church and listening to that, that, that 20-year-old pastor. You got to quit doing that. I'm tired of you going and you're always at Bible studies. You're always, you're always doing this and doing that. Church is taking you away from me. You got to quit. No, you don't have to submit to that. 
If you are a Christian, you gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. You love and serve together with the family of God. You don't have to submit to your husband saying you've got to leave your Christian faith. It does not mean that if your husband leads you into sin, that you have to follow. If your husband's leading you into sin in some way, shape, or form, you do not have to submit to that. It does not mean that you have to always agree with your husband and that you can't present a differing view. As husbands, we may be responsible for the final decision and God's going to hold us accountable for the direction our family goes. But just because that's true doesn't mean that, ladies, you can't talk and you can't say anything. My wife often tells me, often, I wish she was here to confirm by nodding of her head. She often, in, in, in almost 18 years of marriage, she often tells me, Ben, I have a brain too. <laughs> often. <laughs> so ladies, you have a brain, you have an opinion. God made you to come together with your husband, to work together, to be what God's called you to be in your marriage. And what you think and how you feel is invaluable. It's invaluable. I just have to say, after being married for almost 18 years, I can't tell you the times my wife has saved us from so many difficult situations because she's a voice of reason. When I want to plow ahead and say and do, she says, oh, Ben, hold up, pull back. But if I'm a male chauvinist and I I don't want to listen to you, I'm in charge, it's my way, I'm going to do it. That's to my detriment. That's to my detriment. And shame on me, right? So it doesn't mean that you can't have a voice. You have a voice. It does not mean that if your husband is unfaithful, that you are left without any biblical recourse. That's not what submission means. It does not mean that if your husband abuses you physically, sexually, or verbally, that you have to sit quietly in the home and accept that kind of treatment. That is not biblical submission in marriage. Do you guys follow me? Do you ladies follow me? If you are in that kind of marriage, if you're in that kind of marriage, whether it's abusive, physically, sexually, or, or, or your husband's leading you into sin, or there's these areas where you're struggling to submit to him, ask for help. Ask for help specifically if you are going through a, a, a relationship with your husband, saved or not saved, where he is not treating you rightly in a sinful way. Ask for help. Lean on your sisters in Christ. You can come to us as pastors. We, us and our wives will meet with you to talk to you through what you're going through to support you. And if you need help, we want to give you help. And so how should you respond? Ladies, as we're concluding, speaking to ladies here today, wives, how should you respond if you're married to an unbelieving husband or you're married to a believing husband? How should you respond? The text says, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So this is what you do. You live for Christ in your marriage, ladies. Live for Christ. Submit to your husband. Honor and respect him. Listen, our, us as husbands, we will go to the moon and back. To, we will move mountains for you when you believe in us. We will move mountains for you when you champion the calling of God on our lives and you believe in us and you don't cut us down when we fail. We will do whatever it takes to love you, provide for you. As men, we need your respect and the honor for the calling that God's given us. So love your husband, honor him, respect him. I say this often in marriages. If I've married a few people here, I do the same marriage ceremony every time. I say the same thing. Wives, believe in your husband as your superman, that he's capable, that he's able. He is your superman. And I know, 
I know if you're in a difficult marriage, wives, you're looking at your husband, you're like, no way, he lost his cape a long time ago. It is gone. He doesn't, he doesn't resemble Superman at all. And I agree, he's next in the text. It's coming. I'm going to help you out here today. You've got to speak those things into his life. When he does something good, bake a cake. His favorite And tell them why you did it. Amen? (laughs) A wife's beauty is not defined by the visible. But rather an inward beauty that is defined by her submission to the Lord's design for marriage. I changed the wording there. You guys, you you ladies, I keep saying guys, I say it all the time. You ladies get what I'm saying here? It is a submission to your husband, but, but what is it ultimately? It's a submission to the Lord's design for your marriage. That's what it is. So if you think your husband's not worthy of submitting to, hear what the Lord is saying. You're submitting to me. And by honoring me as your Lord and submitting to your husband, I will work in your marriage. Okay. Ladies, I'm done with you for a little while. Okay, I'm going to come back at the end. Now it's to the husbands. And it's interesting, the husbands get two verses, one, and, one or two verses here. You would think the husbands need more verses, don't they, ladies? We need more verses. Amen. All you ladies clapping, right? Amen. These hard-headed husbands need more verses. But look, it's scripture. We get more verses in Ephesians 5 about what we're called to do to love our wives as Christ loves the church. But in this section, there's not many verses here. There's only one verse. Let's look at the text. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So, so this is the thought from this text, building on our first thought that a, a, what the, a woman's beauty is not defined by what is visible. Number two, a husband's strength is not defined by his biceps. A husband's strength, and thank God for us with small biceps, that my strength is not defined by my lack of bicep strength. And I'm going to make the argument here in this text that the same argument Peter's making for wives is the same for husbands, that what is on the inside matters most. Okay, so notice he says likewise. So when there's a condition like this, there's this, this, this conditional word, he's, he's bringing what he just said over into the husband. So he's saying likewise husbands. So what does it mean? Likewise what? Likewise husbands, if you're married to an unbelieving wife, you should walk humbly in that marriage and trust the Lord. Same thing, likewise husbands. Likewise husbands, there is a submission that husbands are called to in marriage. It's not just wives. They're called to submit. There's a submission that husbands are called to in marriage as well. Just as wives are called to submit to, to the God-ordained role of their husbands and leader and responsible party, husbands are called to submit their lives to the Lord, but, the, but submit their lives to loving and treating their wives in such a way that honors Christ. Whether, whether or not you're married to a believing wife or you're not, you have the same call. Wives, live this way. Let what is inside be demonstrated outside in loving and submitting to your husband. And husbands, let what is inside be demonstrated outside by loving and cherishing your wife. So, I believe just as women may have the temptation to be defined by their outward appearance, men face the same temptation, to be defined by what we see. That's why I phrased that thought. We're not defined by our biceps, right? But I also thought about this too. You know, I, I like shoes, I like shoes. How many guys here like shoes? You probably don't like them. I, 
I know a couple of you like shoes as much as I do. Most of you don't like shoes as much as I do. I like a lot of shoes. I like shoes. Um, You're going to look at my shoes now that I talk about it. But I have more than one pair. That's all I'll say. I have a lot of shoes. And I will wear all of them eventually. But I would venture to say, hear me, there are guys in here, you have, some of you have one pair of shoes. (laughs) You wear them to work, you wear them to exercise, and you wear them to church. Some of you have branched out a little bit and you've got two pairs of shoes. You have your work shoes and your church shoes. Or you're going out to eat shoes, your date night shoes. Some of you have branched out even a little bit further, but you're nowhere near me. You have work shoes, you have church shoes, and you have exercise shoes. But for most of you, that's as far as it goes. Why is that? Because as, as men, we're not so overly concerned about what we, what we look like on the outside. We don't stand in front of the mirror as long as our wife does. Men, how long did it take your wife to get ready here today? Don't know? Yeah, some of you got here be, 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 before and you couldn't witness. But how many men are you getting patient with your wife because she's taking a long time to get ready? How many of you men, you jump out of bed and you brush your teeth, you comb your hair, put on your clothes? Five minutes, you can be ready to be out the door. Is that you? Anybody? Would you admit that? Yeah, absolutely. That's how God made us. But we as men still have the same temptation to be defined by the outside. Not in the same way women are defined by what we see on the outside. But it's a different thing. Here's how men have the temptation to be defined by what we see on the outside. Our temptation is to be defined by what we do. By our success. Men, what is it that you do when you meet a man for the first time? You put your hand up. What do you say? Hi, my name is Ben. What do you do? I'm I'm seriously, how many times do you say that? What do you do? Or or what do you do for a living? Or or, or, or where do you, like, you, you talk about what it is that you do. Because we are wired by God to do, to initiate, to pursue, to conquer, right? To destroy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Our biceps. But that's what we do. And often men define themselves by being a man's man. Some men are prideful in this idea, I'm a man's man. There's men who like a lot of shoes. And then there's men like me. I'm a man's man. And you know, what, what, what is that idea? It's the idea that I'm too manly to be sensitive. I'm too manly to be gentle. I'm like a bull in a china closet. I, I just plow through situations and I conquer and I defeat everybody and I take names, right? I can't think of the phrase, but, you know, I'm taking names. I'm destroying everything. I'm too tough to be sensitive. But how does the text, what does the text say to us as men who are tempted to be defined by our, even our physical appearance and how big we are? I've been going to Planet Fitness for the last three months. I've been faithful. I've been going, me and Joel have. And it is interesting to watch. It is interesting to watch. I, I, just watching people, watching men. And, and really, you, 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 see, you see what you see in this message. You see the women a certain way, and you see the men. And they're both, you're both looking at, yeah, everyone's looking at how we all look. No one's looking at me. If they are, they're laughing. But <laughs> I'm keeping things lubed up here. <laughs> I'm sorry. (laughs) But men, that is our temptation, to be defined by what we look like on the outside. And some of you, you you think you're a failure 
because you, your identity is wrapped in, in your success in business, in your career. And some of you are carrying the weight. You feel like you're a failure because you, in your mind you failed in those areas. But that is not what defines you, how much money you make, how many possessions you can buy for your family because you make all kind of money. That is not what defines you. That's not what should define you. So what is it that should define us? In our relationship specifically with our wife. Look back at the text. Here's how we should live with our wives. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Number one, understanding. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. That's number two, understanding and honor. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And that's humility. Understanding, honor, and humility. This is, what, this is our calling, men. We're going to break that down. Say that with me, men. Understanding. All right, come on now. Understanding, honor, and humility. That is what demonstrates an inward quality that is so much more powerful than the big biceps that you wish you had. Or all the successes that you can, that you can accomplish in your life. Understanding your wife, honoring her, and walking in humility. Let, what does that mean? These three things. First thing, understanding. This word understanding, he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. This word understanding is translated from the Greek word gnosis, which literally means knowledge of, perception, and comprehension. That's what it means. Husbands, live with your wives with understanding, with knowledge, with perception, and comprehension. So, So what is he saying here? He's saying, husbands, listen, this is so simple. You should be perceiving some things about your wife. It didn't take you long, husbands. What do you perceive about your wife? You should be making a list, right? This is what I perceive. Live with your wife in an understanding way. You gain, you perceive, you perceive, you're gaining knowledge. I've heard it said, I've heard it said that whenever this text is read, live with your wives in an understanding way, the common joke for men is, is that there's not enough books written. That's what it said. What do women want? They even made a movie about it with Mel Gibson years ago. What do women want? And the, and the stereotype is you can never know, right, man? If I knew, I'd be a millionaire because I'd write a book. But then there's not enough books. Can I shoot straight with you, men? Do you mind? Whether you do or not. That is a cop-out statement. That is a cop-out statement. That is baloney. It is. That stereotype of women in your marriage that you say, I just can't know my, I can't understand her. I can't get her. You know what the truth is? The books that should be written about your wife, you should be writing it. Why? Live with your wife in an understanding way. Perception and knowledge. And what do you do, man? You take notes, brothers. Take notes. My wife responds this way whenever this happens. My wife thinks this way. She has this attitude. Write a book on, on, on your wife so that you can live with her. Isn't that, isn't that so simple? So you can live with her and with the understanding and knowledge you have of her. So some of you here today, you may say, well, I've been married to my wife. I've been married to this woman for 30 years and I still don't know what she wants. You must be living with blindfolds on and, and earplugs. You're not paying attention. I'm, I'm not trying to beat you down, man, but I'm just trying to shoot straight with you. If, you. if you've been married to your wife for any length of time, you ought to know who she is. Many times it's not a lack of information that's the problem. It's a lack of, it, it, it's a lack of follow-through and taking 
our responsibility serious. I, I, I know what my wife wants, what she needs. As I said, if we married almost 18 years, it would be 18 years in December. I, I know what she needs. Why? And it didn't take me long to figure it out because I, I watch her. I live with her. I know what communicates love to her. I know that when I live a certain way, I respond a certain way, I know that it communicates not love to her. And so I'm not a dummy. I do the things more often that communicate love to her than I do the things that don't. I'm hoping that as I continue to mature in the faith that I do those things less and less that don't communicate love to her. And so, men, this is what it means to live in an understanding way. It is our joy and our responsibility to know our wife. So if you're stuck, men, and you feel like I just don't understand my wife, take her on a date. Ask her. Say, sweetheart, I want to learn. Forgive me, I haven't been learning. I've just been taking you for granted. Teach me. Tell me. Tell me your heart. Listen, men, your wife will melt like butter on a hot knife. If you, if you sit across from her and you say, honey, tell me what would speak love to you. Tell me how you would feel love. She would be like, who are you? What planet are you from? I'm telling you. There's other things I could say right here, but I'm not going to because there's kids in the room. But just think butter on a hot knife. understanding, honor. Okay, look at the next thing that we're called to. This is inward that comes outward. Honor. I live with your wife in an understanding way and honor her as the weaker vessel. And that word weaker literally means physically weaker. That's what it means. God's given you physical strength. And, you're, and it is biologically true that women are not as strong as men. Some women are probably stronger than some men physically. But as a general rule, men are stronger and faster and uh, have more strength than women do. For all the women out there, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're not strong, but this is just the truth here. So this word honor, and he's paralleling men's strength with women's weakness. But he's saying that you need to honor her as someone who is weaker. Okay? What does this mean? That word honor in the Greek, in this verse, is the word teme, teme, which means, this is so good, respect, price, or value. Respect, price, or value. So what does it mean, husbands, to honor your wife? What if I told you, this is what it means. What if I told you this right here is very valuable? This is a valuable thing right here. What if I told you that somebody gave it to me and I I looked up the price, and if you don't know what it is, it's a little miniature well. Somebody in the church gave it to me. It's a miniature well, and they wrote me this awesome note that said, keep going deep in God's word. Isn't that sweet? So I put, it's on my desk so I can look at it every time I'm studying for a sermon. Keep going deep. Keep digging the well. What, what, what if I told you that I looked it up and it's worth a million dollars? Well, it, it's not, but hypothetically speaking, and I gave it to you. And I said, I want you to watch this. I'm going away. And when I get back, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sell this thing and make some money. But, 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 but you've got to make sure that this little string right here doesn't break. You've got to make sure it doesn't get chipped. You've got to make sure. And, and I can't. I don't have time to do anything with it now. But I don't want to leave it by itself in case it gets stolen. And I, I give it to you. I say, watch it. What are you going to do with it? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna honor this. And how are you going to honor this? You, because it's valuable and it's priceless, you're going to be gentle with it. You're going to be soft with it. You're going to probably take it to the bank and put it in a safety deposit box for me. 
right? It's, it's that gentleness. It's that, it's that care. This is the picture. This is our call, husbands. Our wives are of, of infinite value and worth. They are worth so much more than a million dollars. And the Lord has given them to us. Think about the day you got married. You're standing at the altar. It was not just a ceremony to get through. When you're, staying, and when you're standing at that altar, the picture is that, is that the Lord, not your father-in-law, gave you your spouse. But the Lord himself said, said, son, I'm giving you my daughter. I'm placing her in your hands. And I want you to honor her. And the way that you honor her is that you are gentle with her. That you are patient with her. That you are kind to her. That you are not harsh with her. And men, that is our temptation. Back to Genesis. The temptation for a woman is to usurp the authority of a man. And the temptation of a man is to be harsh with their wives. It is our temptation to speak harshly. To react out of anger when we don't get our way. When we don't like their opinion and they're, they're contradicting our opinion. And so men, we have to fight against that temptation. And we have to take this inward submission to God and his authority and say, I am going to live with her in an understanding way and I'm going to be gentle. Husbands, never call your wife a name. Never curse at her. Never put your hands on her in a physical way to hurt her. Reacting against her. Men, don't ever do that. Be gentle with her as a precious treasure that she is. And ladies, what do you say? That's your moment. You could clap. You can stand up. And when the Lord comes back, he's going to ask you, how have you handled the responsibility I gave you? It's your responsibility. Understanding, honor, lastly, humility. This is a foundational attitude that undergirds our relationship with our wife. We don't pridefully think that we are greater than or entitled. We walk in humility towards our wife. Look back at the text. Since they, our wives, are heirs with us of the grace of life. It's a humble attitude that we have as husbands that we understand that we are not better than our wives. Because God made us first, gave us responsibilities, because we have authority that God's given us, We, our wives, are not less than us. The book of Galatians says there's neither male nor female, Jew or Greek, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ and we are under the umbrella of the gospel. The dividing walls that separate us, they come down and a woman is not less than us. We are co-equals with God, with, with, with Christ, in Christ. We are heirs together. We're heirs together. One commentator puts it like this. A husband and wife are heirs together. If the wife shows submission and the husband consideration, and if both submit to Christ and follow his example, then they will have an enriching experience in their marriage. If not, they will miss God's best and rob each other of blessing and growth. So husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. Show honor by treating her with gentle care and walk in humility with her. So to conclude here today, whether, whether we are in a marriage with an unbelieving spouse or we are married to a believer, marriage is hard work. Would you agree? It's hard work. It's not easy. We don't always submit. We don't always honor the Lord. We don't always honor our spouse. I'm not always gentle and kind. I'm not always patient. Sometimes we hold grudges against our spouse longer than we should, which is net right. We shouldn't hold on to grudges and we're holding on long to that. Marriage is hard work. 
It takes a commitment to the Lord first and a commitment to the covenant you've made before God. But what I know is true is that we can often find ourselves in difficult seasons of our marriage. Maybe you're here today and you're just in a tough spot. You're like, Pastor Ben, these principles sound so good from God's word, but I I don't think you see my marriage. God, I don't think God sees my marriage. It's just, it's so hard right now. We're just at each other's throats all the time and there's no peace. And we're just really struggling and you're looking for hope. And I'm here to tell you, God's word is your hope. Living God's word in your marriage will bring healing. But if we're in those difficult seasons of our marriage, here's, here's my question for you. Do you pray for your marriage? Are you praying for your marriage? Do you pray for your spouse? Are you praying? If you're in that difficult marriage, if you're, a, uh, if you're a believer married to an unbeliever, are you praying for your spouse? If you're a believing couple married, but you're at wit's end about how to get along and you're, you're not agreeing constantly and this is difficult, are you praying for each other? Maybe you're, and if you're in a difficult marriage, you're probably not praying together. But are you separately, privately praying for your spouse? Are you praying for your marriage? The reason I'm asking are you praying is because the text ends with prayer. Look how the section ends. Wives live this way. Husbands live this way. Obey the word of the Lord towards your husband. Obey the word of the Lord towards your wives. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. Some people will say, well, that's directly spoken to the husbands. I believe the the likewise ties it all together. The likewise ties it all together. Our prayers, if we are praying for our marriage, we're praying for our marriage that it, would, that it would be healthy and whole, but we are living in a way that is contradicting biblical principles, our prayers will be hindered. Do you hear me? If we are living in a way that's contradictory to God's word in our marriage, we can pray all day long, but we're not giving God anything to work with so that your prayers may not be hindered. The Lord is saying through Peter's letter that if we have a desire for a godly marriage, it reflects the love of Christ, and that is our prayer. He is saying that we cannot expect our prayers to be answered if we are actively working against those prayers by not obeying the word. Do you hear that? We're almost done. Listen. He's saying we cannot expect our prayers to be answered if we are actively working against those prayers by not obeying the word concerning our marriage. So concisely said, heartfelt prayer and an obedient life make for a powerful combination in our marriage. Heartfelt prayer and an obedient life make for a powerful combination in our marriage. If we will obey the Lord in our responsibility to our spouse, and we do what we're called to as a husband or a wife. And we will pray for our marriage. What a powerful combination. And God will do miracles in our marriages. God will do miracles in our families. God will bring homes back together. Amen? He'll bring marriages back together. Marriages that were on the brink. Marriages that people looked at and said there is no more hope. If a man or a woman will stand on the truth of God's word in spite of what they see in their marriage, they will stand on that word and they will love their wife or they will honor their husband. They will submit to the Lord in their marriage. God can work a miracle in your marriage today. He can work a miracle in your marriage today. Because why? Because God's word is true. It's true. If we will pray for our marriages, 
And we will live in obedience to the word of the Lord with our spouse. God will work miracles. He will work in our marriages. So I want to end like this. I want us to end like this. I want us to stand up. I'm going to end in prayer. And I, and, and, and I, know, I know that there are some here who aren't married and you don't have a spouse here today. Or maybe you are married and your spouse is not here. Whether because they're not a believer or because they can't be here today for whatever reason. So I know that there are caveats, but I know that there are married couples that are here. So we're going to do this. And if you're single here today, I want you to pray. And when we're going to pray, I want you to pray. God, prepare my heart for my future spouse. Help me to live out what God's word says about my, what my responsibility is. If your spouse is not here today, when we're praying, and if it's, they're not here because they don't believe in Christ, pray for them earnestly here today. And pray that God will work in your heart to be who you're called to be to that spouse who doesn't know the Lord. But if you're here today and you have your spouse with you, if you're not next to your spouse, go find them. Okay, and get next to them. Put your, hold hands, embrace right now if you're husband or wife, some way, shape, or form. We're gonna pray for each other. Here's, but here's what we're gonna do. Okay, it's gonna be quiet for a moment. It's gonna be quiet, but it's gonna be a beautiful quiet. But what I want you to do, husbands, I want you to start first. And listen, prayer is not complicated. It's not hard. Prayer is just talking to God. So what I want you to do, husbands, is I want you to lead out in prayer. I want you to pray for your wife. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to do two things. Maybe three, maybe four. We'll see how it goes. One, I want you to first thank God for your wife. Start off with thanksgiving. Just simply say, God, I thank you for my wife. And just whatever flows out of that thanksgiving, let it flow out. What are you thankful for? God, I thank you for my wife. I'm thankful that she's a godly wife. She's here with me at church. I thank you that she, she takes care of our home. I thank you that she works and provides, helps provide for the family. God, I, I thank you that she's a godly mother. Go down the list. What are you thankful for? Thank God for your wife. Okay? Secondly, husbands, I want you to pray that you would help, that God would help you to love her in the way that you're called to love her. Okay? That's the second thing. Thirdly, the third thing that some of you may have to pray is you may have to pray a prayer of repentance. Okay? You have to pray a prayer of repentance. Maybe you're going through something right now. You came in these doors and you guys were at at, at odds and you said something you shouldn't say before you walked in that door. Happened so much. On the way to church, doesn't it? Repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. If, you, if that's been the pattern of your marriage, men, repent before the Lord in your wife's presence. And then wives, the same order. Thank God for your husband. List the things. Secondly, secondly, say, God, make me the wife I'm called to be. And if repentance is necessary, repent to the Lord in your marriage. Can we pray? So it's going to be quiet, but you guys got to start praying, okay? So just huddle up with your spouse. And if your spouse is not here, if your spouse is not here, pray for them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our marriages. And thank you for the husbands and wives that are here, for the ones who aren't represented. God, we thank you for the institution of marriage, the good that you have created in marriage. And Lord, I pray for each and every married person here today, every married couple. God, I pray, God, that you would work in all of our marriages, individually as a husband or a wife. I pray that we would live according to your word, that we would honor you by honoring our spouse. 
And I pray for those marriages that are struggling. I just pray, God, that you would bring healing even through this moment of prayer together. Maybe some of them have not prayed like that in a long, long time, maybe ever. But God, I pray that you would bring healing in their marriage. That the marriages that are on thin ice, that are struggling, I pray that you would bring restoration, you'd bring forgiveness, that you'd bring healing. And that as a result of that, that they would be a reflection of your glory in the earth and a testament to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we submit all of these things to you. And I pray specifically for those who are married to unbelieving spouses. God, I pray that you would give them patience. I pray that they would live with a gentle, quiet spirit, trusting you that they would honor the Lord by honoring their spouse and loving their spouse. That you would help them to trust the process that they are in. And to not give up hope on on their spouse. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Sorry I preached a little too long. But we'll see you guys tonight, maybe at Jeremy Camp. If not, I'll see you next week. Love you.